Tonight, we welcome the cabaret performer, musician, and circus-minded rabble-rouser, Strangely. He has performed as far away as Europe and Australia. He is currently on a cross-country bicycle tour of the U.S., and later on, he will perform in front of a live audience as part of this broadcast. Please welcome to the program, Strangely, how do you say your last name? Duesberg. Duesberg. And would you please introduce your special guest to our fans here tonight? Well, this is my best friend in the whole wide world, Mr. Aaron J. Shea. Hi, guys. Let's hear it for Aaron, Aaron J. Shea. Shea. Come on. Yep. Thank Big you. Hand. Thank you. Thank you. Strangely, is from Bellingham, Washington. Mm-hmm. He's currently in Northern California. This is where this show is taped at the Phoenix in Petaluma, California. Uh, and he has shows booked as far as Florida, as uh, yeah, I've been I've, told. I've got some things going um, out into Florida, and I'm sort of right now in the process of booking up the East Coast. So anybody out there on the East Coast looking to see, see a bicyclist roll into town and play some accordion? Let me know. <laughs> this is the man. Charlie Davenport, mm-hmm. a previous guest on the show mm-hmm. of Rags. My God. He said that in previous performances, you detail like your, your um, he called it like the strangely spiel about self-expression, about not letting people get in the way of who you are and all that. Would you mind summing that up for the audience here tonight? Well, there, I have this thing um, that I do where I... In taking off my clothes, it's it's it was the finale of my show for a long time. I, I've sort of not. I don't do it as much anymore because people have started to expect it from me. But I still do it. Um, so what I do is I start taking off my clothes and I basically say something along the lines of, "There are people in this life who will tell you what you can and cannot do, and where you can and cannot do it, and things like that. And you should forget those people because life is too short." and precious and beautiful to not just live, to not tell people you care about, I love you, to not grab your bag and go on an adventure. And so I'm, I'm continuing to say this. And then I say, I realized a long time ago, I'd never be the best accordion player, or the best juggler, or the best anything. There's one thing that I can and will always be the best at. And I'm about to take my pants off at that point. And then I say, and that's being strangely. And, and then the crowd really, goes wild a little bit. I'm really good at it. Yeah, the crowd goes wild at the, and then, uh, and then I say, so I hope to introduce to you, I, I want to share with you my most prized possession. This is my onesie and I take off my pants and I'm wearing a onesie. And for me, if it's a onesie or if it's a, a crazy hat or a beard or whatever, like life should be lived and, and you should live it freely. Um, I, I had a friend telling me I should go to Burning Man and their selling point was you can walk around wearing whatever you want. And to be honest, that's what I do every single day. (laughs) But I, I really, that if I can really get people to do one thing after they leave a show that I do, it's just to be their own goofy self. Did you have like any breaking points in your life or like, uh, people or things or experiences that happened where maybe you were on another path? And you were like, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to go ride my bike around and play accordion for people instead of what I was doing before. Oh, boy, howdy. (laughs) Um, 
So when I was uh, 18 and I was in my last year of high school, I was working at a local restaurant in town and just kind of having the basic high school experience. And I had played violin for about 10 years. I'd played piano for like 12 years. Like since I was a little kid, I've been playing musical instruments um, and involved in school theater and stuff. So, and I was very excited about film. I wanted to be in film. Um, and my family was religious. And so my parents said that the only way that they would help me pay for college was if I went to a religious university. And so uh, the university that I picked was called Biola down in uh, Los Angeles. And I think Biola sounds like a Southern woman who would cook you some grits. Like, we going down to Biola's tonight. <laughs> going to get some grits. Um, and so Biola is a seminary that also has a film school in it or sort of a thing. Um, and so I went down there and it was just awful. I didn't like LA. I didn't like the college. I didn't like the sort of the culture of the people at the school that it was kind of this, it was just a very strange place. Um, and I started doing drugs while I was there and then, uh, dropped out, moved back up to Billingham, Washington, my hometown, got the same job I had in high school, moved into an apartment with my best friend from high school. So we have one breaking point going down to that school, which was awful. And then you come back and now you're probably hitting another breaking point. Right. And now I'm, I'm at this, I'm, I'm doing everything I was doing in high school and I'm doing drugs and everything now and not making any art, but fancying myself very bohemian. You know, we'd stay up all night drinking absinthe, talking about how we were going to fix the world and forget all of it. Or like, I have things that I wrote then and they're horrible. It's like, I would just write fat great at the time. I would write fat boy, slim lyrics and think I had like discovered something amazing. A lot of things kind of it's, you know, every, you talk about a singular point, but I think what often happens in people's lives is, is that there are things that sort of stack on and on and on and on. And the singular point that we remember is sort of the straw breaking the camel's back. Um, but a, a woman that I worked with at the restaurant, a very dear friend called Della Mustachella, that is her, she's a circus performer now. Uh, she was also working at the restaurant at the time as a part-time bartender, uh, said to me, hey, I'm, I'm, dang, I'm doing this show over at a local bar and you should come and sing a song at it. Because people would hear me singing in the kitchen and stuff and everybody knew I was musical and stuff. I thought, well, shucks, I'll go do it. So I went and did my 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 high school karaoke song, which was "Friend Like Me" from Aladdin, <laughs> and uh, a great tune. And like, had like six different outfits on, and was stripping out of my clothes, and just stuff was flying everywhere. And the crowd just went absolutely bug nuts mental. So here I am, like twenty years old. Like, I love to perform, but I haven't had a place to perform until then. And so I. It was just so wonderful. And at the end, people were like, yeah. Uh, and so I, I went home that night. And for the first time, like, I slept. I just slept. And, like, didn't have weird, crazy dreams, didn't whatever. Woke up the next morning and was like, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, Mr. Mailman. I, I, my voice didn't sound like that. I don't know where that <laughs> came from. But it was, it was just like it finally felt like something had unlocked. And... So I started more and more performing with like this local circus troupe and performing in open mics around town. There was a, there's a circus open mic that's still going in Bellingham. It's a monthly un, fun censored variety show. And what happened to the circus open mic? Oh, just man. in a sentence or two. Well, it's just basically everybody gets five minutes 
to do whatever they want. That's a great concept. Like you can yeah. do stand up comedy, you can you can do music or but uh, some people do juggling acts or clown acts or or contortion or whatever. Um Vaud Villingham is like a uh it's an internationally known event that happens on the 15th of every month in I gotta Bellingham. ask how big a town is Bellingham Bellingham's about 50,000 people but it has so many artists it has the second wow. highest number of artists per capita after Santa Fe I believe huh. so they can keep this thing going week after week w- once a month once a month but yeah there's a Probably. there's a local circus community in Bellingham of between 50 and 100 people mostly hobbyists but a few professionals and things like that and at one of these uh, this 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 guy got up on stage and he he played this song about grapefruits and well, it's, it's not really about grapefruits it's it's bigger than that strangely it's, well but, but it's like it's called the grapefruit song and i i heard it once and didn't hear it again for 2 years but it was it was this guy. It was Aaron Shea, and he was he was like, "Rah!" And you're gonna do this, and everybody's gonna go over here, and then you're all gonna like sing this, and all of you sing this, and everybody's gonna. Bruh. And I was just like, "This is amazing," because I was emceeing the show. Mm-hmm. That's so where we met. I had to come out and be like, "That was Aaron Shea," <laughs> and so we 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 didn't see each other for a couple years, and. Like within six months of that first show where I performed for the first time, I had quit the day job and was like living out of a backpack and didn't like was like crashing in, in people's warehouses and stuff and just like basically being a circus hobo. Um, the high I, you the high you were looking for with the drugs you were doing. Yeah, exactly. Was, and in your words, Tom, many times it was, the performance high was the greatest high that yeah. you could have felt. It's it's like mainlining like yes. whatever. It's amazing. Yeah. Like even and, and that's why I will still perform for four or five people because for me it's not the it's not the size of the audience. It's the <laughs> it's like the size of the heart in the audience. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people say things like that like my favorite uh line is that I'd rather be six people's favorite thing than a hundred people's sixth favorite thing. Isn't there, there's a band. Yeah, I think that's, I can't remember who they are and I feel, I feel so shit that I don't, but, but that idea that like, if there are only four or five people, I'm going to give them the same show that I would give a hundred people or a thousand people. Because for me, the high doesn't come from having people go, Oh my God, you're so great. It comes from, sharing and opening up and 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 giving something because I, I think a performance is a is a gift that is what i most enjoy about performing is getting to give something to people and i didn't i at first i didn't understand that when i was first starting to perform when i was younger it was just like oh my god like people are cheering for me and <laughs> this is and it's something that over the last seven years since that first show i've learned and it's it's been a slow journey because when you first start performing you know you're like oh people are cheering for me and this feels it feels good to have people cheer yeah. for you but what feels even better is to be to be giving something to those people yeah. because they've they've left their houses and they've come out in a time in an era in in human history where you really don't have to leave your house for anything like amazon will deliver you a new yeah. goldfish 
So back to Strangely's, uh, he, he'd had that performance, and now yeah. he's quit the job, and now he's, you say, living out of a backpack, uh, you know, couch kind of on couches. Couch surfing, whatever. Exactly. Being no steady income, necessarily. No steady income. But, I, but performing and, uh, and receiving a, a great emotional income from the yeah. crowd. <laughs> and, you know, learning to juggle and, and, and all these things, and kind of sort of building up to a point, like I I'd, I'd started writing shows. And How um, do your parents feel while all this is going on? They, st- <laughs> they're less excited than you are at yeah, the time. You, you know, you're it's describing. it's a thing where um, through being involved with circus and things like that, I uh, met this guy named Carl, and he is such a dear friend to me, and in some ways, sort of a a surrogate parent in that he is very supportive of all of my circus and vaudeville and travel and all of that. But what's really interesting about Carl is I think that sort of the standard narrative with people who find a surrogate parent is that it is a replacement and it's sort of like, oh, this this, this is better. And the thing with Carl is he was always very supportive of my parents in that, you know, in really helping me because, you know, when I first started, I was just like, screw you, mom and dad, I juggle now and I'm going to juggle. I'm going to spit fire, even though it's horrible for my teeth because I can make five extra dollars for a show if I, <laughs> you know, like all that kind of th- stuff. And I, I remember Carl sat me down one night and he was like, you need to stop being so negative about your parents because every time you go over to their house, they feed you dinner. Which means, sure, they're not going to every show or clapping. You know, they're not. They're not. They're not saying "great job" with the the accordion song about having your butt slapped by a guy in the shower or whatever. But they're they're feeding you, and they still love you. And I think that's the thing about my parents that has always been incredible is that I some of you know this whole journey for me has not always been like. Upward, onward and upward like like I said like I learned to spit fire and I did that for a couple of years and that's like literally the stupidest thing you can do for yourself at one point I burned off like oh, I had a whole beard and I burned it off and I couldn't talk for a week um, did you get the five extra bucks for that one no um, and and um, and yet my parents like still they still love me and they still will, will talk to me. Yeah. And that's actually incredible. You say that incredulously too. No, well, I, I don't like know. Your, it's your just parents like, have helped create an incredible individual. Yeah. And I, the, the older I get, the more that I realize that the things that I think are super great in performance come from things that my parents showed me. Like I remember when I was 14, my dad was like, I got this video. You got to see this. And he puts it in, and it's Andy Kaufman live yes. at Carnegie Hall. And it just, like, it blew my freaking yep. mind, this yep. guy. And then he's, like, telling the whole audience, we're going to take you out for milk and cookie. And I'm like, I want to do that someday. He took the whole audience out, yes. Um, but it's, Andy you know, Kaufman. it's like I, I'm really glad. Because I, I say that, I guess, with that somewhat incredulous voice because I have friends whose parents refuse to acknowledge their existence because of the career path that they've chosen. I know a guy up in Portland who is a boylesque dancer. What's a boylesque dancer? It's like a burlesque dancer, but a boy <laughs> with a twiddly mustache. And um, his, his family is, is, is religious. 
like very religious, like my family. But because of because what he does is inherently viewed as very sexual, like it's he's a like they just don't talk to him. It's an interesting thing when a person like goes from a negative mental outlook to a positive mental outlook. What I'm saying is you can you can go around complain about your parents to your friends all day long. You can go around complain about how everybody else who busks is bullshit and you're not. Uh, when the light goes on in one's head that they're not going to do that anymore, things can change and they can change mm-hmm. in a really positive way. Does that resonate at all with you? Yeah, it, do- it does. And like that is, again, one of those kind of ways of thinking that I am trying to impart in a show that I, in my shows is that idea of that, that people can change, but also that your view of people can change. Um, and that can change you. Yes, exactly. That's that's really a profound thing. And like, I used to, I, I think I used to be a lot more judgmental of other artists based on sort of how they presented and what they were wearing and things like that. But I, I still kind of I I really hope that people put some thought into it. But at the end of the day, for me, the art that's coming out the other side is the most important thing. It's like I don't care what you're wearing. If your songs are bullshit, your songs are bullshit. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it's that's such an interesting thing that like being open to change and things like that. I I was I was in New York City, um, the, for the very first time I'd ever been there. This was like within a year of sort of dropping out of the real world and joining the circus. Um, and Are you actually in a real circus? I was for a while. I, w- I would tour with the New Old Time Chautauqua in the summers, and I was part of the, the um, in Bellingham, there was the Bellingham Circus Guild, and I was a wow. member for about four years or something like that. Um, but I went to New York um, and ended up at an auto lot up in the Bronx, helping a guy work on his veggie oil bus. Cool. And then these two guys came up to us, these like two Salvadoran guys, and they were like, hey, Holmes, what are you doing? We saw you uh, juggling, Holmes. You know, like this very like presenting very aggressively, these guys, um, and like, you know, they they both had guns, and like every, like they were, these guys were like, these guys were legit. You thought you were actually going to get shot for, for juggling. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, do you know any magic, Holmes? <laughs> and I know exactly one magic trick. I know and how to disappear as quickly as I can. Yeah. And I know exactly one magic trick and I can like, I can make a playing card disappear behind my hand. Cool. And so I did a couple of other card tricks that, you know, or whatever. And they were just like, no. And then I did that one. And these guys lost their bananas. They're like, oh, shit, Holmes. You're like Chris Angel and shit. Oh, Holmes. Oh like, I've never been called Holmes more than I was that day. Oh, my God. So the, the next thing I know, they, they go over to, because the, they were also working on a car. Um, and they go over to their car, and they have, like, a case of beer, and they bring it over, and we're, like, having some beers. And then they're on their cell phones, and then, like, with it, over the next hour, like, four oh, or five, no. like, crazy like low rider like led lights on the bottom cars roll up and all of these like all of the like the whole like group like their whole friend group rolls up their crew or whatever like their girlfriends everybody just like beer everywhere this huge raging party um and like we ended up like juggling for them and it's like this crazy (laughs) thing and then this guy came who was like their their big 
their their I don't know their leader the the big man in the group, and he was like. <laughs> I hear you like Chris Angel and shit, Holmes. <laughs> and I was like, y- y- yeah. And I'm like very drunk by this point. And I, I did the trick. And he's like, oh, shit, Holmes. <laughs> same thing again. And all these people, they just like loved it. And they kept asking me to do it. It was the same trick over and over again. And they oh, just loved it. And it was like all barriers that would have been between us just were gone. Because of this one simple little piece of art. Thank God they didn't ask for an encore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, what else do you do? I'm like, <laughs> but there's a profound point here you're making. Yeah, right? yeah but it, it's like, I, I think that day was, was the start of me going on this journey of realizing that art is a gift. And it's a point of connection between people. Um, they we partied with them really late and then they loaded us up into their cars and drove us back to the fancy apartment of my friend's parents that we were staying with, like down in Manhattan, like, and we just rolled in and we're like, <laughs> and, uh, you know, get out of these cars and like all like car alarms are going off. Cause the bass is, <laughs> um, but you know, that's, I've really tried to carry that with me everywhere that, the the people that need the connection the most, you know, a lot of people we've been saying, we're going to go down and do these shows in Fresno. And a lot of people have been like, Oh, Fresno, why would you go there? And oh. it's, those are the people who are like really excited that you've come to them, yeah. that you've brought something to them. The, the circus that I toured with uh, for a couple of years, the new old time Chautauqua is a not-for-profit volunteer circus that seeks to bring circus to under circus communities. And, so they they'll they'll do shows at prisons. They've they've gone up to like these these outer islands in Alaska. Wow. Um, they went to New Orleans uh, for the first Mardi Gras after Katrina. I think Beautiful. like just amazing what these folks have done, and I've gotten to be a part of some of their stuff. And we did a show um, like the um, an Indian reservation up uh, in Northern California, and. Uh, at the time, I was doing this clown act where I'd bring people up on stage and I would give them each a bell. So I'd bring like eight little kids up on stage and have them all ring a bell and I would point at them in an order while I played my accordion and kind of make this whole... It, it never really sounded great, but like I had a song that I'd written that I'd have them play. And uh, one of the like tribal police, like the, you know, they because they have their own police organizations, yeah. was there kind of at the side of the crowd and so I pulled him up and gave him the highest little like <laughs> bell and the the crowd just went crazy. And this guy who had just been like stone faced, like broke into a smile and it was like, it just became this wonderful Beautiful. moment of like, we're all the same and we all, we all can feel silly and we all can be a part of this thing. And just the, the more places I go, the more of that kind of connection I find. Isn't that a funny thing, by the way, as a performer? And you can all, uh, I think, see this. You have to do that every night you perform. You know what I mean? I find with a lot of audience members, and I don't perform in front of people often, Uh but uh, I observe a lot of performances. Mm -hmm. And it seems like there's a wall uh, each individual in the audience has. And some, it goes away the minute the lights go down. And some, it takes three or four songs. And some, it takes three or four drinks. And some, it takes right until the encore. But... 
that is as you're as a performer, it would seem to me your job is to make those bring that wall down so that the audience is all engaged. One of the things I I describe it as is that I am a performer and I am inside a circle and the audience is inside a circle. And a lot of people think that as a performer, you're supposed to like bash through into their circle and like tear open their walls or whatever. And the way I like to see it is that I draw a bigger circle around all of us. And that is a show. Mm -hmm. That works. Yeah. I've never heard you describe it like that, but that's, I I think about this a lot. The, the, the two uh, disparate circles that you mention. I think about that as kind of like pop culture and what we try to create is folk culture, which is bringing the circle around so that everyone is involved. It's like that's there was a musician named Faith Petrick uh, down in San Francisco for years and years, uh, and she was part of the uh, New Old Times Chautauqua and also involved with Country Fair and things like that. Just an amazing woman, uh, like was still touring like into her nineties, um, and she would used to say something. I'm gonna mess the quote up, but it was something like, "This is folk music. We're all folks, and this is music." And then she started a song. <laughs> it's just like, yes, yes, yes. that's correct. Um, yeah, you know, and the, those the, the the accordion for me is a party in a box. I I have I have danced and sung with people that without an accordion I would not talk to. I remember I was busking on the street one day in my hometown and these like three like guys, the bro, these three bros come up to me and they were like rocking out to what I did. And then one of them was like, dude, if we pay you like a hundred bucks, will you go on a bar crawl with us, bro? And I was like, what? And they're like, well, we just want to like go into a bar and have you dance on a table and be like Ireland and shit, bro. I have never heard you tell this story before. Yeah. So so I was like, okay, here's the deal. You guys give me a hundred bucks cash up front when I arrive, and you pay for all my drinks, and you have to take the flack if we get in trouble at a bar. They brought the wrong band with them. So we rolled into like we started going to all of their favorite bars and we got thrown out. Like I get like a little way into a song, we get thrown out all the bro bars, right? All the bro bars. And then what town is this in? This is Bellingham, my hometown. And then we went to like this this amazing divey little hole in the wall that I'm not going to name because all the hipsters will murder me. (laughs) Um, We go in there and the bros go up to the bartender and and they're like all surrounding him and they're like talking really intense and waving their hands and pointing at me. And finally, the bartender's like, "No, okay." Okay. Turns off the music and the bros are like, "Get on the bar, bro." And so I got up on the bar and did uh, my not yet song. What do we say to death today? Not yet. And the place, not, not yet. The place just went crazy. And then the bartender was like, "I'm gonna get in so much trouble with my manager, like, but but please keep playing for everybody, but like maybe outside." And so the night maybe for outside. me, the night for me ended with me moshing in the middle of 200 people, like spilling into wow. the street, like the cops were called, like it was a riot singing smash mouth all-star like ah, just ju- bouncing up and down with like 200 people the showstopper and none of them were 
my people. Like they were mostly all like these bros' friends. Like the bros were calling in the bro patrol. <laughs> but they, there were like there were there were dudes like big, you know, like meathead dudes weeping as they sang along with Smash Mouth All Star drunkenly. Oh, there is a universality that exists to the human experience. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes the, uh, the images or personalities or groups that we belong with put up these walls. And what you're describing with both the New York story and the bro story um, are moments where it seemed like the odds were against you. And at the end of it, everybody was brought together by the power of the accordion, by the power of your performance, whatever you want to call it. And um, I think that like that is a struggle that I think everybody has to um, go through in life because it's like a lot of people don't show their true full selves throughout their entire lives because they're afraid of what the world's going to do and all that. You are, have gone the opposite direction and are being your total unabashed self and using the accordion to help get that point across and with great success based on those two stories. And I think there's something very inspiring about that. Yeah. absolutely. And, you know, I think... This is something that Aaron feels as well is that like I would consider myself more of a shy person. Yeah. Like like and I know that like to see me perform you think no, but like I st- I really enjoyed performing, I think and still do because it gives me a feeling of safety with meeting new people. I can say a lot of things about myself, but if something goes wrong, or I can say, oh wait, let's let's stop him to start the song over, or or oh, I I need to stop, you know, like you, that feeling, because it's it's going walking up to a stranger and saying hello, my name is strangely or whatever is the scariest thing. Absolutely, you know that it's like you know people are like, oh, she's beautiful, like, oh, just just go talk to us, she's nice. It's like that is the scariest thing to for anybody to do, mm-hmm. and. And yet when you, when you come out on stage and you're dressed goofy and you have an accordion, people will at least go, hmm? <laughs> just for a second. And in that second, you can feel a little bit safer to sort of get in there. And I, th- I think that for you, that the songwriting that you do as well as that. Absolutely. Um, there, is, there is a certain barrier that doesn't exist when you're on stage because people have come to see a performance and they're willing to listen. When you're going up to someone to talk to them and they're a stranger, you don't know if you're, if you found them on a bad day, you don't know if they are interested in meeting strangers, but that kind of contract that you have shown up for a show, I have shown up to give you a show creates a reason to interact. And that creates some really beautiful moments just because that agreement exists. Yeah, I, I would say I think everybody at this table would agree that the, the, the more and the more varied people you let into your life, the, the fuller life you can have. And performing is a very good way to open that door. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, uh, house concerts, which are t- things that we tend to play uh, around the country are one of those great ways of bringing lots of people together. And especially, I think the the reason that house concerts are so effective is that lowering of inhibitions. Yes. Because you are not in a public place, you're in someone's home. And what happens with with being in someone's home is that like 
there's not some giant public bathroom. There's like a little one little bathroom, yeah, and, and you know, and and you you have to talk to people, mm-hmm. but you don't have to talk to people like in this like way. And there are things to talk about. You know, you can go, oh, look at that book that they have. You know, like there's there's you're inside of the perfect environment to get to know somebody. Even if both of you are not from the house or you don't know anybody at the house, it's like, I, I really think it's fantastic. And Go ahead. A, another thing that I think really uh, creates an amazing atmosphere at a house concert is it is not a commercial experience in the same way that going to a bar to see a show is. When you go to a bar to see a show, you give money at the door, you go to a person, give money for a drink, um, you are you are fully aware that money is an important part of this moment, and in a house concert, it just feels like a social occasion. And money might change hands, but it doesn't feel as central. And that is why, even though like I I tour internationally, I've played sold out shows on three continents now. Like I still love doing uh, my street circle show which is like a 15 minute version of my stage show with some with more juggling and stuff like that but like the bicycle on the face and all that kind of stuff happens that's a good one because nobody um there's no bar to entry for a street show that is what i absolutely love about street performing you don't have to pay yeah you you don't have to you don't have to you know do anything to sort of set set there's no setup there's no time specific it just happens when it happens yeah and and i think that is the that is the best like when a street show goes good it is the best kind of show because all of those people were not expecting to see that. Yeah. Like as much as a sold out crowd losing their minds at like a, a, a venue or a theater or a bar or something for what you've done is great and feels really good. They all kind of, they knew a thing was going to happen. Maybe they didn't know exactly yeah, what. They, they all bought in. I mean, yeah. they, they knew what they were coming for yeah. as opposed to your friends in New York or your bro friends in Bellingham. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, th- there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, fantasization about what it is like in Ireland about this sort of culture of music and oh everybody's just standing on the table singing all the time and and everything's you know whatever and everybody it's uh, how did Dylan Moran put it he's this Irish comedian I really love he said to everywhere else in the world Ireland is just a happy little place full of a bunch of happy little people who live together in a big pie <laughs> which it, it's not it's but not really a pie but I, I i the first time i went to ireland i i was running all over the place trying to find that like mythical idealized version of like how how people are in Irish pubs or whatever, and it you, you know any Irish pub you go in, it's American top forty. I finally I went to an open mic at an Irish pub oh, with or not an open mic, a uh, uh, Kaylee, uh, just like a bunch of people sitting around playing trad music, and I had my accordion and I kind of got it out, and they were like, "Oh, what's your name?" and yeah, play with us, and I played with them for a while, and then they asked me to play one of my songs, 
And um, so I I was I uh, I I played like this really sad song that I wrote, but that was inspired kind of by Irish music. And everybody, like a couple people, cried and like they just they really embraced it. Um, and then uh, these two guys got in a fight because two of them. Like one of them insisted it was an old Irish tune, and the other one was like, "No, that's too American." And I wrote it, so that felt good. <laughs> yeah. um, but then I played it. I played another song for them, and just everything went off. And it was it was I, I had found the crack, but it was the kind of thing where I think I was expecting Ireland to give it to me because that was what I thought Ireland would do. And what I didn't realize was that it was something that I had to bring. If I wanted that moment to happen, I had to provide that moment because as i when i started playing the second song i like climbed up on the bar and was dancing on the bar it's like if i want to see someone dance on a bar in ireland i'll have to do it yeah it's gonna have to be you yeah i mean yeah. sure I'm, i might end up somewhere but like i made this thing happen that like a lot of el- more elderly folks there actually thought was they were like this is great um that same night i was very intoxicated leaving and um was walking down the street back to the hostel I was staying at and I saw these six people six or seven people kind of stomping toward me very very purposefully drunk you know the purpose they were the purposefully (laughs) drunk um and as I got closer to them I heard them all speaking to each other and they're all speaking Russian which I speak a little little bit of Russian because I studied at university for a couple years and I kind of just didn't want to deal with drunk Russian so I kind of tried to just walk I tried to be purposely drunk and I accidentally shoulder clipped one of them and so he turns around and he's like which is like what and I was like oh like I'm sorry I did not mean to to cause offense I did it like um and like, oh, and I'm like, like I speak Russian. Yeah. And sort of had this little back and forth where they asked me where I'd learned to speak Russian and sort of that, you know, where, why. And I said, they asked, why do you speak Russian? I said, oh, yeah, ochin lubit ruskia grammatica, ruskia yazik, ruskia musica. And like, oh, you love Russian music. Prove it. Prove it. And I know exactly one song in Russian, but oh, it's that God. it's that um, Moscow Nights, the Nislishny Visadu Daje Shorochi, Yes Bizamelada Utra, Yes Lips Nalibi, Kakmindorogi, Padmoskov Neve Chernak. And I finish, and they're all like, Oh, they're like, they all start clapping along and they all start singing the second verse, which I don't really know, but I just kind of, and the next thing I know, I was like being bodily, like bent over backward and my mouth pried open and vodka just like poured, poured in. But again, that, that idea that like, I had to bring something to the table. And I think a lot of people are searching for the crack. They're searching for these magical experiences that are just supposed to happen to them. And I think that maybe they feel the world owes them. Yeah. Like if they just do this thing, Ireland will give them what they are owed by Ireland. But in fact, you have to bring something there. And I've found time and time again, the moments where I've actually found that kind of magical, where I've found the pie as it were, the crack 
in Ireland or Scotland or any in the United States or Australia or whatever. It's the times when I was willing to give. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, they, they go t- as audience members or as performers, they, they go expect, they go somewhere expecting to get. And I think the more that you're willing to give, the more that will come to you. I think there is no better way to end than on that thought. Um, because that kind of seems to be, you, you introduced that idea in your act. Mm-hmm. That kind of seems to be where you're at right now in terms of what you're doing. And mm-hmm. I think it's a beautiful thought. And I think that performers and non-performers could take a lot away from that. And it's, it's a good way to try to build and live a good life. It's a really good philosophy. Um, thank you guys so much for joining us thank tonight. Thank you so much for having us This on. was a real delight. Yes. Thank you so it much was, for coming. I, I feel it was a real delight. Tom, was it a real delight? Yeah, this was a real delight. Absolutely. Um, just in a moment, we will have Strangely's performance. So thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thank you very much. And I guess to all a good night. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Wow. Oh my gosh. That is that is the that is what I like to hear in Petaluma on a Monday night. Okay. The world. The world is a scary place. Full of things that could kill us. Things like spiders and snakes and scorpions and people driving logging trucks down windy mountain roads while you're on a bicycle tour. But today, today is not the day that we die, is it? No! Excellent. There was one, the one slow Baptist no in the distance. It was good. Ah, yes, today is not the day that we die. So what we say to death today is not yet. So what do we say to death today? Okay, excellent. Those of you watching along at home, you have to do it too, okay? So let's try it again. What do we say to death today? Good. But a little bit faster, we'll be here for like nine hours. What do we say to death today? Excellent, you'll get it. Oh, what do we say to death today? That's it. Good. What do we say to death today? Come on! Good! What you gonna do when the reaper comes? Well, as for me, I'll bite my thumb and I'm gonna tell him. Who upon the sea beyond the storm I ride? Davy Jones down in your locker, I'm not gonna lie. None of this brings fear to me. I spit in the face of the wind. For this is not the day that I die So what do we say to death today? Almost! Come on! What do we say to death today? Louder! What you gonna do when the reaper comes? Alas for me, I'll bite my thumb And I'm gonna tell him Cause I've seen my death a thousand times in my dreams. 
Not such a bad way to go, it seems. Since how you go is up to chance, you might as well just join the dance and run into the maelstrom with a scream. Now I make the last chorus a polka, and I bet some of you are wondering why. Well, here's why. It's because I'm self-employed, so I do whatever the f I want. All right, here we go. This is your last chance to participate if you have not yet participated to the fullest extent of your abilities. Here we go. What do we say to death today? Good. What do we say to death today? Good. What you gonna do when the reaper comes? As for me, I'll bite my thumb and I'm gonna tell him. Thank you. Oh my goodness, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, okay, Seattle, settle down. Excellent, yes, good. Wow, I am, I am in the middle of this huge, long uh, bicycle tour. I just rode my bike here to, the, uh, to uh, Petaluma from Seattle, actually north of Seattle, uh, a place called Bellingham, Washington, about a thousand miles. It's not the longest bike tour I've done so far. I actually rode 2,000 miles last fall across Europe. Seamless transition. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I had just done my, my one-man show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and I was doing all of this stompy, loud, rah, rah, stuff that I'd just done just there uh, in the top deck of one of those double-decker British buses. <laughs> And I'd get about 60 loud, excited Scottish people up there in the bus. And uh, we'd all start stomping and have just a, a grand old time. And I got the worst review of my career. In a Scottish newspaper, a woman wrote, when strangely stomps, the bus rocks, and not in a good way. Yeah, and I'd had full crowds my whole run. I did the show 30 times, full every time, and so it was really hard. And then to, to hear that, and then I was broke, because it's very expensive to do something this niche and go to another continent. And so I, uh, I didn't have enough money for a bus ticket or a plane ticket or a train ticket because my flight back to the United States was from Helsinki in Finland. So the only thing I could do was to ride my little folding bicycle here, 2,000 miles across Europe. And I did, and it was really hard. And uh, while I was riding, I saw an empty bottle of Buckfast floating out in a bay. And I thought, that's how I feel right now, like that empty bottle of Buckfast like the thing you're not supposed to use up all of, has been used all up.
I'm a writer whose words won't have meaning when I am dead. I'm a pair of lovers who can't find a bed. I'm a parent whose only child is down in the ground. I'm a little lost boy who will never be found. And I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. I don't know if I can make it through this year. I'm a man whose socks are made out of holes wearing shoes with worn out soles I'm an empty bottle of Buckfast out on the bay hoping the tide will sweep me away Dogs can hear it. I'm a singer who can't remember his own lyrics so good. I'm a sword in the hands of a master, but I'm made of wood. I'm an old sailing ship. That's stuck on the shore I'm a big fancy hat Worn only for war And I don't know What the hell I'm doing here I don't know If I can make it through this year I'm a man whose socks are made out of holes Wearing shoes with worn out souls I'm an empty bottle of You know, I just realized that there are some of you here not watching this video in Scotland or Ireland or Australia. So for those of you who aren't, I feel like I should probably explain what Buckfast is. You see, uh, Buckfast is a tonic wine brewed in the south of England by Benedictine monks. They've been doing it for about 500 years. Buckfast is highly sugary, 18% alcohol, and caffeinated. Buckfast is a bad idea in a bottle. It's the kind of thing, it's the, yeah, it's the sparks of the old world, the four loco of the UK. It's the kind of thing that shows up at a party at 3 a.m. when everybody's tired and they just want to go to bed and they just want to be done with the party. And then somebody, somebody kicks in the door and yells, I brought Buckfast, the Knights of Fetus, let's party! And the amazing thing is, more often than not, everybody does party a little bit more. And, and, and people start passing that bottle of Buckfast around and, and everybody ends up getting very, very jolly. And, and, and everybody starts singing old folk songs and, and playing silly games like Never Have I Ever and Spin the Bottle and Whose Finger Is That? And it's just this amazing, 
I can tell some of you in Scotland have played Whose Finger Is That? And I, it's an amazing experience. You know, it's the, it, it can be really magical. But the thing is, you never see an empty bottle of Buckfast because nobody ever makes it that far. You're not supposed to. There's always supposed to be some Buckfast left. So when I saw that empty bottle of Buckfast, I felt like that empty bottle. But then I realized, whoever those people were who emptied the bottle of Buckfast, they went somewhere. They saw something. They probably don't remember what it was, but I bet it was amazing. So I wrote a little sing-sing sing-along part for this song, and you can all do it at home, whether you're wearing pants or not. It goes like this. I'm an empty bottle of Buckfast out on the bay. You sing, what a party, what a party. I sing, hoping the tide will sweep me away to a better place, to a better place. So it's what a party and to a better place. Do you reckon you can do that, me hearties? Do you reckon you can do that, me hearties? Good, let's try it. I'm an empty bottle of Buckfast out on the bay. Party, hoping the tide can sweep me away to a better place, to a better place. I'm an empty bottle of Buckfast out on the bay. Party, party, hoping the tide will sweep me away. Better place. One more time. Better place. I'm an empty bottle of Buckfast out on the bay. What a party. What a party. Hoping the tide will sweep me away to a better place. To a better place. I share that very low, low, low point in my life because I think it gives my life perspective. You know, I, I think so often in our lives, we only share the low points or the high points. It's so easy to get wrapped up in the negatives. My cat just puked. Only five people came to my show. Only one person loves me. None persons love me. The person who loves me is far away, whatever. We should share our low points, but we should also share our high points. And I share that very low point in my life with all of you because it gives the next high point perspective. See, I was riding my little bicycle through Belgium and a man rode up next to me on his bicycle and he was wearing those little, those little spandex sort of bicycle shorts and, and nothing else. <laughs> and this middle-aged man who was probably about 65 he asked me in French what I was doing there. And I said, in my not very good French, something like, Je suis étrange. Je suis American cabaret superstar. Je suis un monstre la ville. <laughs> the point is, my French is horrible. But we kind of had a little bit of a back and forth, and, and we looked up some words on our cell phones. And finally, we, he, he understood. He, he figured it out. He, I saw that, I saw that, that light go on in his mind. He got it. He understood that I was this accordion troubadour traveling across Europe on a bicycle because the only way out for me was forward in Finland. 
And then he stopped his bicycle. And he made me stop my bicycle. And he came up to me. And he put his hand on my shoulder. And in English he said, You are a legend. <laughs> so I wrote this song. And it's called, I'm a legend. And I always dedicate this song to Miranda, who wrote that article that said, when strangely stomps, the bus rocks, and not in a good way. I feel so bad for her. She just didn't get it. <laughs> and also to any of you who have ever wanted a fight song, any of you out there in the world who have found this video, this can be your fight song for when you're washing the dishes or punching a tree or eating small shavings that you filed from the back of a chair. <laughs> Whatever you do, this can be your fight song too. Out here I stand at the edge of my hope Nothing left to cling to but this piece of burning rope that's when I'll say to the monsters at my door Come on inside boys, I think there's room for a few more I'm a legend, I am free Across this land I'll roar I'll tear the roof right off of this place so You can see the stars I don't care if they like it Or say that it's not art I won't rest until you hold my bloody My bloody bleeding heart I'll ride my bike a thousand miles to play one song for you I've done it! There's not much I wouldn't be willing to put myself through Cause when my lungs are aching and my legs have gone out That's when I know I'm doing the stuff that they'll talk about I'm a legend, I am free Across this land I'll roar I'll tear the roof right off of this place You can see the stars I don't care if they like it Or say that it's not art I won't rest until you hold my bloody My bloody bleeding heart Now, I grew up Baptist, which, it's all right, I got better. I grew up Baptist, which means I like to have call and response whenever I'm doing a show. Whenever I'm sharing my music with people, I just really wanna, I wanna yell things out and have them yelled back. So let's gonna, we're gonna try that. You see, I know here at the Phoenix Theater, it's haunted. So there might be some ghosts willing to do some call and response with me. Let's see what happens. I'll shake the bus. Those are very timid ghosts. Let's see if we can get a little bit more. Can I get a little more ghosts in the monitor? I'll shake the bus. I'll break the walls. I'll fight on until I crawl. I'll shake the bus. I'll break the walls. I'll fight on until I crawl. I'll shake the bus. I'll break the walls. I'll fight on. I crawl, I'll shake the bus, I'll break the walls, I'll fight on until I crawl.
with your hate walk out into the rain I'm only sorry I couldn't save you that you wanted me to explain Yes, my voice is loud! No, I won't tone down! I think two or three people have heard me on the other side of town I'm a legend, I am free! Cross this land, I'll roar! I'll tear the roof right off of this place! You can see the stars! I don't care if they like it or say that it's not art! I won't rest until you hold my bloody, my bloody, my bloody bleeding heart. Yes. Now, I, by the way, I like to call this the Scottish Piccolo. Um, <laughs> Would you like to see a circus trick? Yeah. Yes? Oh my goodness. I... I'm gonna make you all wait. Oh. I'm gonna... No, don't worry. I'm still, I'm still gonna do it. Don't worry. First, I'm gonna bring out a special guest performer. Ooh. Ladies, gentlemen, those of you outside the gender binary, please put your hands together for Mr. Aaron J. Shea! Hey, Aaron. Hey, strangely. <laughs> oh, did I leave that a little tall for you? I'm sorry. A little bit. Did I just say sorry? Am I Canadian? <laughs> All right. Uh, this next song is by Aaron. Alright, ready? I'm Life is to 
you hear that far away and beautiful noise just faint in our ears? Yeah. What is that? It's the sound of a hope in C major. <laughs> You're welcome. This is gonna be our last song, uh, and this is also a sing-along, and it's very easy, so we're not even gonna teach it to you before the song starts. <laughs> I think they're up on it. I think they're ready for that kind of sing-along level. All right. Uh, and I'm gonna do the circus trick during the end of this song, so it's like a grand finale. Or for those of you who want to click away and watch a cat video, the grand finale. That this could be a home A place of warmth When the cold winds blow But at your touch the rot begins to grow Now you've gone And cracked the stones Singing ya da 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 So that's the sing-along part, it's very easy. It's just a lot of ya da da and some da da da. You're walking down an endless dusty hall Nothing that you plant will grow tall Nostalgic for no place at all You're on not so much a journey as a fall Just singing ya da 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 
My name is Strangely. This here is Aaron J. Shea. Thank you so much, Phoenix Theater. <laughs> oh my goodness. Is, is that good? Did we get, you guys were filming that, right? <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Is that it? Is that it? That's it. That's it. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Wow. We got through it, you guys. Woo! Oh. Together.